Hey guys, welcome to Teo Podcast, the Pandemic Press. And today we have a special guest. His name is Haven Scott McVarish. He's a political analyst and author of the book, Last Chance to Save Democracy. And um, he studied in, uh, he studied uh, BA and then he got his master's and then um he did law for a few years so he's he's a re- really educated person especially you know the political structure and the history going on behind it we'll be talking about how climate change actually triggers uh, the release of, of ancient viruses that uh, people have to face today and um like i believe uh you should get a vaccine um uh, shouldn't get vaccinated because in theory i've learned that um if the vaccine or pharmaceutical drug um causes too many deaths they should be taken out of the market and that's what i believe and i do not believe everyone on earth should be vaccinated and because of the um if you look at the side effects on the FDA um FDA website uh Food and Drug Administration website they have released the side effects for each drug and then they have mentioned that um side effects may be severe and uh, people can even record their side effects and they've provided a link there um i suggest that is too much risk taking it because as um this vaccine has is very strong first of all and as soon as you increase the dose the thing is that you're going to face adverse effects i think a better solution will be to take responsibility for every civilian to take responsibility personal responsibility in so that they won't pass the disease to anyone else so practice social distancing uh, practice uh, uh put in the mask and let me let us dive to uh, the conversation we had and we had such an interest, interesting conversation that we actually debated about science and politics the rules of science and the rules of politics so i hope you enjoyed this to get the truth out to the world because everybody is having skepticism during this point of time and a lot of misinformation is also circulated uh, on the internet as well and people don't know what to believe and i think i'm using my knowledge from my um, edu- the education i was taught in the international system to give the people the more realistic view because and what why do you think there is so much misinformation rashni i think there is so much of misinformation because it uh, depends on the person's level of thinking because i think the education system is failing us right now at this moment of time so it depends on how you think and i would say medicine is not a, like a straightforward straightforward answer like when you're always talking about modern day medicine there's 
obviously something going wrong in it because it's released out in the world uh, at a faster pace. And when you take um, a vaccine, for example, it's a drug classified, 80% drug, 20% biological product. And it takes uh, 10 to 15 years to actually form um, one drug. And this particular vaccine is coming from many years of many years of research from the cold to the, M, um, the MERS. And then from the MERS, it's coming. That's how the COVID next ever vaccine is developed. But again, it, uh, people have to start thinking critically because uh, the thing is that, again, the time period is still too little. Or even you don't know the long-term effects. People are actually dying from it as well. And more than 4,000 in the US suggested on the CDC news. And I think that people like people of the government should mandate it when this side of the thing is happening. So like I think government officials think, uh, think that this side of the story isn't true at all. And therefore, a lot of disagreements, people are dividing into two uh, separate groups and they're fighting actually because um, I think uh, that everybody uh, has this like specific knowledge and it's very little, but I would say for a big huge, actually medicine is like the second hardest course in the world, I would say that. So the answers are not so straightforward as you think. And this is why many people are getting confused and they're not using the right language to describe it. So I would say that there are some errors also when news reporters like um, news reporters explain what's going on, they use certain terms and those terms are like inaccurate. With a point of view from a doctor, if you see, if they actually talk about it, they're gonna say that, oh my God, that's completely inaccurate because a news reporter just um, gave their point of view. The terms used are not accurate. Yeah, interesting. You know, I um, there's been a lot of discussion in um, on both the right and the left yeah. uh, in the United States about the vaccines. And what's interesting is that on both ends of the spectrum, there are groups who do not believe in the vaccine, um, whether it, they, they don't believe they either need it or they don't believe it's real or they don't believe it's being presented as um, uh, what it, the real motivation for governments wanting to give it to people. And I've engaged in discussions with both people on the right and on the left on this issue. The, where it's interesting, um, where you can see both groups kind of struggling with the same question is when I pose to them a, a question about the future. So uh, the people on the right don't necessarily believe in climate change, but there are some who acknowledge that the world is changing. They just yeah. don't want to say what they believe is causing it. I mean, everybody can see that, that you know, uh, the, the world is heating up. And as the world heats up, then we lose the Russian permafrost um, and we lose um, a lot of ice from uh, the uh, Arctic, uh, from the poles, if you will. Yeah, I and believe that. 
the climate change. I believe it uh, because from a young age, I was taught about climate change and I kind of uh, right. uh, like ecological footprint developed it over time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the question I pose is, as the ice melts, particularly the Russian permafrost, um, epidemiologists are finding that uh, there are viruses that have been frozen for you know, some for millions of years and certainly a number for hundreds of thousands of years. And so their fear is that a virus that humans have absolutely no ability to fight off because we haven't ever faced it or we haven't faced it for hundreds of thousands of years will be introduced accidentally by someone who catches the virus. And it could be a um, massive dieback of the, of the human race like that, because we're going to be completely unprepared. And so my question then to both people on the right and the left is, if that were to happen, for instance, let's say a super polio virus um, was found and this polio virus, you know, and polio used to be called the bone crunching disease, um, incredibly painful, um, wiped out in much of the world. Uh, but imagine a super uh, polio virus comes out. And so the scientists have to quickly adapt the current polio um, vaccine to something different. And let's say they do because of uh, the advance in AI, uh, the advance in fact that they've been studying this stuff for a decade, it happens. Would you take the virus? I mean, would you take the vaccine to fight off that virus? The thing is that uh, I would actually take the logical side first. I would just uh, uh, maintain my part to society by maintaining like social distancing, um, taking care of myself uh, manually, because I, I believe that uh, a certain amount of time has been has to be taken to actually give off those vaccines. First, you need to run several tests, first of all, to make sure, mm -hmm. the, make sure it's safe for the other people to actually take it. Yeah, uh, so I understand that, but now imagine one million people have died worldwide. Now imagine two, now it's four, and it's quickly escalating. At what point do you decide that, you know what, millions of people are dying, and yes, they, they rushed this vaccine to uh, market, yes. but nevertheless, and, and a few thousand people are dying from you know reactions, usually they might have had something previous, and so we don't know all of the interactions of the vaccine. But at what point do you say millions are dying? I don't want to accidentally catch it and give it to my grandmother or my um, nephew or niece who are unvaccinated. Yes, yes, but I wish that there was some equation to do uh, so because actually calculate that kind of risk factor. Because right. from where I'm living, it's like I'm living on top of a hill, so away from a city. And I kind of like, um, there, there has been no cases around in my area, so. I would say that I'm safe and I'm trying to like adapt to the situation by actually growing my business online. So yes, so I'm trying to adapt to the situation. And yeah. I would say I'm kind of like isolated from um, getting the disease. So I have that sort of confidence in me. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. And that's, that's great that you have that. And in the United States, um, we have an expression about uh, privilege. A privilege is when you don't recognize how fortunate you are, right? Yes. And so it's a privilege that you and I can work from home. It's a yes. privilege that we're able to maintain social distance. But when you think about 
the millions of people in Sri Lanka, in France, in the United States who rely on a paycheck from working in person and who are exposed, those people, they don't have that privilege. They have no ability to socially distance and feed their family. Yes. And you know, yeah. there are literally billions of people on this planet who are in that situation. And I would say, I would say that uh, to take the vaccine in that case. Yeah. I would say yeah. to take the vaccine because I feel like if you, if you can't adapt to the situation quickly, you have to take the vaccine. Yeah. Then, yeah. So, for and, I, and I think that's what we have with the COVID. Yeah. Right. I think we have that with the COVID. It may not be a, you know, uh, we may not know that it came from the Russian permafrost, the melting of it. Yes. And, you know, and there is legitimate questions because we don't have really solid answers as to where it came from. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely theories that, you know, a bat versus in a lab. But regardless of where it came from, the fact is it's killed well over 4 million people by now. And there's just a lot of people who are unable to live their life without going out into the world. Yes. Now, there are some risk takers yes. who go to motorcycle rallies, you know, without a mask. And that's, you know, like that is freedom for them. Um, but the problem comes when they get it in their um, recklessness and then they give it to grandma or they give it to the niece or nephew. <clears throat> that's where we see the problem. Um, and, and that's tough. Like if, if you are socially responsible, like you are, then I can see you not getting the vaccine and you're not going to be a risk factor for everyone around you. But there's a lot of people who don't want the vaccine and they don't want to mitigate their risk. They just kind of wish that life was exactly like it was before 4 million people died. And that's yeah. where our danger yes. comes in. I think from the early times of the pandemic, uh, like everybody thought that this disease was fake, actually, because it did, uh, it, you, nobody could see it. Nobody knows what it was and stuff like this. And uh, until uh, like my friends who are like doctors and who are working in the hospital, they were telling me this disease actually exists. So the, the thing is that there's nothing wrong. Like it's not fake. It's just that the stats are being like over exaggerated. So I would say the test is not accurate as much because um, you can't exactly distinguish COVID-19. There are similar symptoms when it comes to other diseases as well. And there, is, there has been this kind of um, political exaggeration for some unknown reason. And that is escalating the fear. And plus, pharmaceutical industries are taking advantage of this situation because, okay, this is a good time for us to promote the product and maybe escalate the prices a bit because they have. Um, considering the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, they are now like, or more euros higher than it initially was. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think back to some conspiracy theorists who believe Bill Gates is putting some type of microchip in the virus so that they can track us, right? No. And exactly. what's interesting, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But what's interesting about that theory is they are right in looking mm -hmm. at Bill Gates's role in this virus, because yes. it, you, you probably remember in the early stages of the virus, the um, World Health Organization had brought in 
eight or nine of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world and had got them to agree in principle to create a global vaccine, an open source global vaccine that none of the eight or nine companies would own. And that basically would be distributed at cost throughout the world because, you know, from the very beginning, people understood that if one country remains unvaccinated, eventually it will get back out in some type of variant. Now, what's interesting about that um, uh, opportunity that we missed was the reason why we missed it. And it was Bill Gates' intervention. About two or three months after that project began, Bill Gates, through his foundation, offered this unbelievable sum of money for, uh, to help uh, companies create a vaccine. But with the contingency that that vaccine remained the intellectual property of that company. Because Bill Gates, his ideology is not that he wants to control every human being on earth. I, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Our, our, our cell phones already, you know, track, yeah. uh, track us. Um, but rather it was because of the corporate uh, profit motive. And a lot of, from, you may not know this about Bill Gates because you probably were not in the United States at the time, but during the 80s and 90s, he was brought up in federal court uh, by two successive um, administrations. So both a Democrat and a Republican who went after him for a monopoly uh, of his Windows product. And he fought them for eight or nine years. And, you know, eventually um, uh, he was able to get a settlement that was very advantageous to his company. But that instilled in him an absolute distrust of uh, anybody trying to interfere with intellectual property. And so that is why, it, that is part of his ideological makeup that, on the one hand, he wants to help the world, vaccines, clean water, things like that. But the way he goes about doing it is always most advantageous to the companies, as you point out. So now the pharmaceutical companies never did the open vaccine. They own the intellectual property and they can slowly or quickly increase the prices for these vaccines as they want because they were able to get such amazing seed funding and political back backing from Bill Gates Foundation, or at the time called the Bill and Melinda um, Gates Foundation. So it is interesting how even in conspiracy theories, there's always an, a small element of truth that's usually twisted around for someone else's advantage. Um, you almost wonder if Bill Gates is the one who created the ridiculous theory of him putting the microchips into the vaccine um, just so that people wouldn't notice what he had done with intellectual property. But that's probably a step too far. Yeah, that's that's a step I would say into the future because now you can control nanoparticles and liposomes because they are like um, artificial. They can be made in the lab itself. It's not yeah. you can't take. Uh, yeah, you don't have to have to get a natural liposome or nanoparticles. So I would say, so this theory can be true within the like future, like maybe right. like hundred two hundred years from now. I would say, yeah. yeah, but right now I would say we are too slow for actually something like that to happen. But yes, there's a possibility that it can happen in the future because once we learn how to control the nanoparticle and liposome, who knows anybody can do anything to us. Yeah, it's true. And though what, what I find interesting though 
is by the time we get to that point, someone will have created products that um, will make us believe if we inject or if we take a certain uh, nanoparticles within a vitamin capsule, yes. it will make us smarter with better memory or better, better looking or we'll lose our fat, yeah. whatever it is. I we think will probably do yeah. that willingly. We yeah. won't need the government to you yeah. know, inject yeah. it into us. And plus, um, this vaccine also has a psychological effect on so many people because it actually gives uh, some sort of placebo effect because everybody has a very shallow understanding of, I say, vaccines. So mm -hmm. vaccines, they say, okay, normally a vaccine is supposed to create antibodies and therefore protect uh, you from that particular disease. But that's a very, I would say, very shallow understanding of the term vaccines. So it's it's not it's not always going to protect you. There are some, most of the, in most cases, it's like um, let's say this when you consider this virus, this virus is really fast growing. It grows super fast. And I was also taught that uh, normally vaccines do not give you herd immunity. And why is the government pressurizing us to take it? in all circumstances. And I learned this in my, um, my actually university, uh, study medicine and I, I learned this and I spoke to a doctor, like I had like several hours of conversation regarding this. So now I can actually talk about it with everybody on podcasts and even on my Instagram sometimes I tell, I had this conversation before in prior and I just want to tell you that this is what I learned. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, your background in science is definitely stronger than mine, um, but I have a very good background in history. And so one of the things that you can look at is just the historical application of previous uh, vaccines. Yeah. And I don't think any of the conspiracies theories I've heard on this vaccine would at all apply to any of the other vaccines that were developed in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, like the, the conspiracy doesn't track back 70 to 80 years. Yet, it's certainly in the United States, and I can only speak for our country's history of vaccination, we have wiped out a number of childhood diseases um, from the vaccines. I mean, completely yeah. wiped them out. Yes, and it's so, evolutionary com uh, uh, compared uh, to some of the history historical events. But again, there is also skepticism because every time there is a success, it's been broadly like advertised. But where every time there is a failure, it's been tried to hidden down in history. It's been trying to uh, they try to hide all their failures under the soil. I would say. Yeah. Well, and I mean, yeah. if. Most vaccines are created by pharmaceutical, for-profit pharmaceutical companies. It stands to reason that they would hide their failures for their own stock prices. That doesn't make it a conspiracy about the efficacy of the actual vaccines that work. Rather, that would just belie any, any claim that all vaccines ever in development would work. But that's what we call a, a red herring argument. No one is, or a straw man argument. No one is really making that argument that all vaccines that anybody's ever tried work. In fact, I would say probably, and I am in no way defending pharmaceutical companies, but I would say on the whole, any pharmaceutical company would admit 90% of the things they try to do end up not working. And then with every failure, 
you know, you, you stack your failures until you finally succeed. I mean, that's science, right? Yes. That when you, when something doesn't work in your testing, then you learn from that failure and you move on to the next iteration. And that's why, you know, science is as powerful as it is, is because we apply a set of fear, a set of iterations until we finally get to the right product. And also there's another factor, it's called fate. I think um, the thing is that it depends on the virus, whether it wants to, like whether it, it can exist within a point of time, let's say. And this gives a kind of psychological like uh, benefit for the people every time they get the vaccine because it works like a, some sort of placebo effect. So every time the virus comes and it leaves the, this like sort of environment, you don't know whether it actually left or you don't know whether this is just a placebo effect that's working in your head saying that, okay, now I took the vaccine and now, um, okay, I won't get the disease. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's an interesting theory. Certainly the power of placebo is, um, is awesome to behold what our minds can do. Um, in the United States, at least, um, about 95% of our vaccines are given to us when we're young children. And believe me, there's no placebo effect there because yeah. no kid wants the vaccine. No one, none of them understand what, say, polio is or yeah. any other of the diseases they're being inoculated with. So if it works on a child and it protects them, say, from measles um, or rubella from the rest of their life, that's not placebo. That's yeah. science, science because, that's science. you know, placebos don't work on five-year-olds yeah. or three-year-olds. I mean, we have daughters who are two and a half years of age, and they've already been given probably three rounds of different vaccines, and they'll never know that they were given those. They'll never remember them. They'll but, have zero yeah. placebo effect. but they definitely are protected from the myriad of diseases that would have inflict, in, infected them, say, in the 1930s or the 1940s United yes. States. I would say, like, uh, that is true because the thing is that, like, I would say medicine is not a definite answer. Like, it's a really complicated one. That's why it's, like, the second most hardest course in the world. So, I mean... What's the if, hardest? If, if medicine is not the it's, hardest... It's like engineering because it's math... Point. Like it's not it's not complete words, but I still think that medicine should be in top because it's like a completely long period of time to get there. I would yeah. say, and, and it's, it's ever changing. Yes. Like you could study, you could graduate from Harvard Medical School in 2010, and by 2020, so much medicine and science and knowledge has changed that you're almost um, uh, you're, you're almost antiquated in your belief system. Just ten yes. years later. That's, that's why you have to keep reading. You have to, uh, like so many people become doctors and they actually stop reading. And that's the biggest mistake. Right. Uh, like, absolutely. Yes, because it's like your education does not stop when you finish uni. Like finish yeah. uni and you start working, you have to still keep reading. And I think that most of the mistakes that doctors make is because of that. Um, I, I was actually back at home. Um, the, you know, like for viruses, they give antibiotics. And like a doctor who graduated from Oxford University at the time, uh, actually gave my little brother um, an antibiotic for a virus infection, and his heart was escalating at the time. So that there are mis there are some sort of mistakes um, was happening, but it was fate that he actually survived from it. Right. Yeah. 
that's very familiar that that sounds very familiar to what happens and has happened in the United States. I think it's still continuing happening that we are so so it starts with pharmaceutical companies constantly putting out propaganda about how certain medicines will you know uh, protect us from certain um, issues, right? And a lot of them, you know, are unnecessary. Uh, and there's just a, it's a profit motive for the pharmaceutical companies. They advertise this, the patients see it, the patients then ask the doctors for it. And so doctors now are so used to being pushed by their patients for a certain type of medicine that when you get a sick child or you yourself are sick and you're like, I need antibiotics, even though it's a viral infection instead of a bi you know, biological infection, doctors will too often just say yes. And it's not that the doctors believe that is the correct notion. They know that the um, antibiotics will not help you with the virus, but I think they justify it in their head saying, well, there's still a 10% chance it is a bacterial infection and not a viral infection, right? And frankly, I don't want the hassle of this person complaining to my manager that I'm a bad doctor by not giving her the antibiotics because then the patients will claim, you don't want to give me the antibiotics because it's, it's costing the insurance company too much and you're controlled by the insurance company. So these doctors are in this unenviable situation where if they don't give a medicine that is absolutely useless, they will be taken um, into some type of, uh, not court, yeah, but administrative yeah, but hearing. Yeah. But I think that um, yet you should actually try to be more holistic in these type of approaches, because I think that you can't uh, exactly depend 100% of the time on pharmaceutical industries Agreed. and pharmaceutical industries per solution that, yeah, we have to also take a look at the holistic side. I mean, in the medical, uh, in medical university, we were never shown the holistic side because again, the education right. is also promoting, you know, drugs and yeah. 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 So, it would be really interesting project to um, try to take the best of Western medicine, the best of- Eastern um, medicine as well. Exactly, you know, from India to China, um, uh, and some of the Buddhist nations have different approaches. And I am someone who, um, I have such a Western mind, but I know I have gone to acupuncture and I have been relieved of pain or a symptom that, you know, three or four different appointments with the Western document did, doctor did nothing for me. And I think until we get the humility as a people, um, the Western medicine will never be open to something that, you know, was not invented in the last hundred yes. or 150 years. Yes. And that's at a great detriment to um, uh, all of us who live in your Western medicine regime. Yeah. And it's kind of like recently, I would say that the uh, Western medicine started emerging and we started actually uh, evolving through the, uh, through science. Uh, exactly. And I would say that there, in history also, there has been so many like failures and they learn from the failures and they learn from uh, the, what happened. Actually, I feel like uh, most of the surgeries that took place, especially during uh, the uh, me medieval era, kind of like 
um, they realize their mistakes and they kind of like evolved and evolved and like the same thing is happening now they're evolving from their mistakes but we are losing democracy at the same time yeah well and that's a great topic because i do see uh that um I, I look at the world as being two political camps. Um, on the one hand, uh, there are people who want democracy, the pro-democracy movement, and you see it in every nation in the world. Uh, and then on the other hand, there are groups of people in every nation in the world that wanna consolidate wealth and power into their own hands. That is the natural split that we have had in human politics for 6,000 years. And even before it was called democracy, when it was just, you know, hey, King, you shouldn't be able to kill us indiscriminately. We should at least have some opportunity to plead our case. That's the same efforts of basically trying to instill human rights into a, an otherwise authoritarian system. And right now, you'll, you can see massive parallels between say the communist uh, party of China the royal family of Saudi Arabia, the oligarchs of Russia, and the absolute um, corp top corporate elite of the United States. They are all trying to do the same thing. That is suck up the money from their society, get um, uh, to the level where they have no accountability and be able to be free to do what they want when they have consolidated wealth and power into their own hands. And coronavirus, has made it easy for probably half the nations in the world to take a few steps away from democracy. So for instance, in Sri Lanka, as you probably remember in the early 2020, there was gonna be an election, they postponed the election and they kept what is a pretty authoritarian government in power unconstitutionally. When you don't have a strong vibrant democracy, that stuff can just happen. Um, we're fortunate that President Trump did not figure out a way to turn the coronavirus into a power grab for himself. And I think it was mostly because for his base, it was, he wanted to play up the fact that everything was fine. I am the all powerful leader. Don't worry about it. Coronavirus, it's nothing. So that was his way of manipulating um, himself into retaining power by manipulating coronavirus. So for him, Coronavirus was nothing. We don't need to do anything. Therefore, keep me in power because everything is fine. Other countries have taken the exact opposite approach and said, well, coronavirus is so deadly that you can't gather together. Oh, and that includes you, opposition party, who's trying to win in the next election. Sorry, you can't have more than five people together. But it's the same impetus. It is people just trying to consolidate wealth and power into their own hands and using coronavirus as an excuse, like the Communist Party uses a political ideology, like the Saudi Arabian family uses religion. You know, it's whatever tools are available to authoritarians, they will use them. And coronavirus is just yet another neutral tool. Yeah, uh, I also wanted to talk to you about um, the election. Uh, in the US because I've also heard that there were audits released and I wanted to make sure whether, um, is this true first of all and did Trump actually win? And, <laughs> yeah, and if, if so, it, I don't think he, yet he would be a better leader 
as well. And if, if he actually wants, I, I actually don't like both of them, Biden or Trump. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I feel like Biden is like becoming too strict on the rules. And I feel like Trump is the guy he is for a leader. He ha- he's racist, first of all. And um, he doesn't understand a lot of things, I would say. And for me, putting him on um, a pedestal, ruling the entire world, which kind of is not the best thing to do right now. <laughs> what what would you say? Yeah. Yes. So um, the audits. Um, so last year, <clears throat> my book was published, Last Chance to Save American yeah. Democracy. In that book, so mind you, this was published in October, um, so almost a year ago. Um, I actually predicted the aftermath of the election because I saw all the pieces being put into place by a Republican Party and the Trump allies. So I predicted there would be a violent insurrection in Washington, D.C. Um, and then um, the audits that have happened afterwards are just a byproduct of that uh, political manipulation. So the insurrection, um, which really was an attempt to overthrow our government um, and the people who were manipulated into doing that or people who did it willingly, however you want to put it, um, they believed that President Trump had the backing of the military and would be able to create, uh, do a coup d'etat. They were completely wrong about that. Um, Trump has alienated the military and you know, fortunately for us, he did that because otherwise, if he had controlled the military, say like Duarte in Philippines or um, uh, uh, Erdogan in Turkey, we definitely would have had a coup at that moment and democracy would be completely over in the United States. The audits, they're just done by groups who literally have been working with the Republican Party to try to overthrow the government. So anything that they find is... It, has no basis in fact, uh, but even with their attempts to manipulate the, the accounts, they have not found anything. There's been audits done in almost every single state officially by, and over half the states are Republican states. So this is not like a Democratic Party conspiracy. In every single Republican audit has found the, um, uh, the election was completely honest. Every single Republican government audit has found no problems whatsoever. But the real issue with the United States and Trump is, and I, it takes a while for people to understand this, but Trump was the best thing that happened to democracy in the United States because he was so um, uh, ineffective and so incompetent in his attempt to take over the government by extraordinary illegal means that the careful planning that's occurred in the United States for the past 10 years to make the Republican Party the uh, forever government um, was interfered with by Trump. Trump was not what the Republican Party envisioned winning in 2016. Trump was- That's what I thought as well, because like, I, I, I don't think it's him. It's just because his actions, the way he does stuff, is actually um, promoting democracy in a way. Yeah, the reaction to his yes. efforts yes. has increased people's interest in democracy. You are 100% correct. And so 
Um, and it's just because he's such a gross human. You know, he is so belittling of women, of ethnic minorities, of people with disabilities. He's just kind of a gross human. Whereas if he had been a more polished leader, he could have taken complete control of the government, but he created too many enemies. And he enjoyed doing that because from a psychological perspective, you know, he's always felt it's him against the world. He's had an inferiority complex. So he can't even imagine himself actually being embraced by everyone. Instead, he has to create enemies so that his people can hate other people. But, and that is not what the Republican Party wanted. Now they do. Yeah. Now it is the Trump party. And so that's fortunate in the sense that most people around Trump are fairly incompetent. So they really can't follow through on their schemes. <clears throat> but the real, the real threat to democracy <clears throat> started in 2010. And that is when this seminal Supreme Court case occurred that allowed for the first time in the United States history, rich individuals, so the richest individuals, 90% who are Republican, so very few Democrats amongst, say, the billionaire class, they were now for the first time allowed to spend as much money as they wanted in elections. And spend it they did. In 2010, in some races, they outspent the Democrats 20 to 1. And this was not Republicans outspending the Democrats. This was a small group of very powerful, rich individuals who were outspending both the Democrat and the Republican parties in elections. So their candidate, which was always Republican, won those elections. And that's why in 2010, the Republicans took control of the federal government in the House of Representatives and a few years later in the Senate. It wasn't because President Obama was not popular. He was extremely popular. That's why he won his election two years, uh, re-election two years later. But once they gathered their power through uh, the Citizens United uh, Supreme Court decision, and they were able to spend their way into majorities, and that's what we call the first weapon against democracy in the United States, they were able to then do the second weapon, which was this uh, thing we have called gerrymandering. And gerrymandering, if you can imagine this, this is how backwards our political system is. We allow the politicians themselves to draw the boundaries of their district. Meaning every 10 years, they sit in a room together and they say, okay, I want this neighborhood in my district. I want this street in my district, or I want these five houses on this street in my district. And once you're able to do that, and in 2010, they were able to do it for the first time with the aid of computer programming, um, and very sophisticated technology, whereas previous to that, it was all pretty much posters on the walls. Um, once they were able to do that, then they were able to draw boundaries so that, um, imagine this, in a state that votes 60% Republic, excuse me, 60% Democrat, the Republicans were able to maintain 55 to 60% of the seats, meaning, even though they were a minority, they remained the, the, um, uh, the government in power. They were able to do that in the House of Representatives and in a number of states that 
previously were Democrat states, but because of the tremendous amount of money of, of, um, of weapon number one, they temporarily switched over to Republican. And then with the consolidation of the gerrymandered districts, they were able to stay in power, which then enabled, allowed them to do their weapon number three, which was uh, be able to suppress votes. And they do that in a variety of, of ways. For some people, um, so for instance, students. Students were part of the Obama coalition, the, the college students. So a number of Republican states said, you can no longer vote with a student ID. Just flat out could not. So if you were from say Tennessee and you went to school in Texas, you were no longer allowed to vote in Texas because you didn't have a driver's license because you don't need a Texas driver's license, you use your Tennessee driver's license and your student ID would no longer be valid. And so they would do things like that. They would consolidate times to vote. So there was very few times, you know, we are one of the only countries in the world where we vote on a work day, uh, on a Tuesday. And so working class people, um, they would find their polls would shut by 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or there'd be so few places to vote, the lines would be five or six hours. And this happened throughout the United States. So that was weapon number three, voter suppression. And then weapon number four is what caused Trump accidentally. And that is what we call diversionary propaganda, where so much false information is pumped out on a daily basis over the course of the last eight years that there is a group, good group of Americans and people worldwide who listen to um, any of the Fox News empire or any other right wing uh, media. They're getting pumped so much misinformation, they don't know what the truth is. And so Republicans are able to do certain things, attacks on democracy, and their base never hears about it. And in fact, even the people um, who oppose Dem uh, Republicans barely hear about it because it's just drowned out by all of the crazy conspiracy theories. So that's what's happened in the last 10 years. But we were fortunate that in 2016, I mean, it was a tragedy that Trump got elected, but we were lucky that it was him and not one of the more intelligent right-wing presidents because then they would have never relinquished power. They would have stayed in power. Um, and then with the uh, gerrymandering, the uh, voter suppression, uh, the excess money spent by right-wing billionaires, Democrats would never rule again no matter their percentage of support in the country. That's the crazy thing. And that's how our democracy is so threatened. So why have the Democrats actually failed during the course of these few years? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I actually have a, a chapter in my book called Why um, Understanding Why the Democratic Party Won't Save Us. <laughs> and think of it like this. I, you know, did you know about gerrymandering before this conversation? No. Yeah, most countries don't have it. They can't even imagine it. It's, it makes no sense that politicians can pick their own areas. Well, in, um, if you think about it, let's say Republicans have 50% uh, plus one in the House of Representatives and the Democrats are the minority. So in the House of Representatives, there's um, say uh, 438 seats. Okay, now the 200 and say 10 Democrats, again, let's pretend they're in the minority right now, 
Every single one of them owes their seat to gerrymandering. Even though the Republicans have the majority, the, the Democrat seats are gerrymandered as well. And so if I now want to change the system as a Democrat, I have to convince all of my colleagues who are, have an amazing career, right? They're being paid unbelievable money um, for being a congressperson. They have a great healthcare system. They have all of these benefits. They're constantly taken to dinner. They're treated like a little king or queen. I have to convince them that, hey, we have to change the system to get the Republicans out of power. But by the way, you might lose your seat because when we redraw the boundaries, you may now be in my district and now you're going to have to beat me or you may be in a district that now is more Republican than Democrat and you're going to lose. And likewise, with the money from Citizens United, um, the, the, co the corporations, the billionaires, they give money to Democrats too in safe Democratic seats because the Republicans, they can't win in a seat that's been gerrymandered. So there's 80% Democrats in one seat and that's how they do it. They put 80% of the Democrats in a couple seats and then the Republican seats all have 53, 54% Republicans. So Republican votes are spread out and their power is spread out. But for the Democrats, I have to convince them to give up that money. And even though they're the best fundraisers in their district, I have to convince them to give up their safely drawn seat, even though that's how they got elected. So Democrats are reluctant to, to take the self-sacrifice to fix the system, not Democrats as a whole, you know, the, the 100 million Democrats or the 79 million Democrats, they would want the system to be more democratic, but our elected officials, they are torn. And then the other part of it is, United States has a lot of pride and we have this pride that we're the world's most important democracy. Republicans have pretty much given up on that. They, they, they don't care. They want an authoritarian government. They want a right-wing authoritarian, possibly Christian government so that their values are upheld. Democrats, they, they are the ones who actually are the ones who promote the American exceptionalist myth that we are an exceptional country because of our democracy. And so it's hard for Democrats to admit that our democracy is barely surviving, that we, in fact, if you looked at the 190 nations in the world, we're not in the top 10 democracies. We're barely in the top 50 democracies. Our freedom has so slipped in the last 20 years that you know we are a uh, democracy in threat, under threat, like in India um, and other countries where more authoritarian leaders have emerged. So it's hard for the Democrats to admit that because a lot of it was done on their watch while they were in power. And, um, and that there's complicated histories behind that. But at the end of the day, they are afraid to tell people the truth. And the flat out truth is any issue you care about in the United States, whether it's healthcare, um, the vaccines or no vaccines, social justice, Black Lives Matter, the global climate change, None of it matters. None of it will have any success on it unless we save our democracy. And they just, they can't give that message because they are the leaders of that dying democracy. 
And so until we replace those leaders in the Democratic Party uh, with a newer generation, because the average leader of the Democratic Party in power is about 78 years of age, Joe Biden's age. <laughs> the Nancy Pelosi, who's the head of the House of Representatives, is even older than Joe Biden. Until we replace this generation, um, we're not going to have the truth told to us. And, and there won't be the inspiration to self-sacrifice amongst the Democrats. So that's why the Democratic Party has been so ineffective. But it should be their top priority, right? Agreed. It should be the top priority. Especially you know, at a time like this, where we are losing everything from mandating vaccines, COVID-19, you have injustice going on everywhere. And yeah. um, and that I, I, I want to tell you, we have uh, in the book of law, we have a penal code saying discrimination of health is illegal. So mm -hmm. mandating vaccines and promoting a vaccine passport or health, um, what do you call this, health passes, mm -hmm. is actually an illegal step. And are you talking about in France or Sri Lanka? Yeah. In Sri Lanka, they have mandated health passes. I see. This is illegal, but I, I went and talked to the pharmaceutical, uh, pharmacy, pharmaceutical industry, like um, it, uh, it's like the doctors there because like I can engage in conversation with doctors because I know the science behind uh, everything. And so I can have a debate with them. I feel like I am I'm good in that subject because I, I can have a, a debate with them and I take pictures and I talk to several doctors and I tell them this is not a good idea and why do you promote it? And then they say that we also have, that's why we give attestations out. We give attestations so that they can get the health passes without getting vaccination, just have a negative test result and they get the health passes. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard for me to comment on um, the government's policy in Sri Lanka. I um, do not blame your skepticism. Sri Lanka is a country that had a pretty vibrant democracy in the 60s and 70s and when the Tamil War started in 1983, a lot of that democracy was rolled back and even more so under this current prime minister. And so it's tough <clears throat> when you live in a country where you can't trust the leaders <clears throat> or you can't trust, say, the corporations like in the United States, it's really hard to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really hard to know what is the truth, and 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 that's tough. Um, uh, I, you know, I am someone <clears throat> who believes in the vaccines, and but part of that is colored just by the fact that I have a number of people around me with compromised immune systems, and so you know the idea that I could accidentally <clears throat> give it to them scares me because I don't want to hurt anybody at any time. I would rather take a vaccine that is still in the rather experimental um, stage if it increases the chance of vulnerable people being able to live out their life free of a debilitating or even deadly disease. But now if I live in a country like China and the government tells me to take a shot in my arm, I'm going to be very scared about that because you know, I wouldn't put it past the Chinese government to do anything or the Saudi Arabian government or the Russian government or the North Korean government or the Cuban government for that matter, or right now in Venezuela or Nicaragua. Those are examples of socialist dictators. It's all the same. 
Anytime you have that consolidation of wealth and power, it doesn't matter if you're a religious country, a socialist country, a capitalist country, it's all the same. It's them, a small group of people versus the rest of us. And it's hard to trust them, even in a time of crisis. Yes, and it's also like uh, many businessmen also have these contacts with the political parties. Like absolutely, yes. So Correct. they, yeah. So they have this really strong relationship. This is how like uh, rich people do business. That's well, right. Yes. So and so the propaganda they give out to the political party and the political party carries this out in support of these businessmen. You really don't know the truth. That's yeah. That that is very perceptive. And in fact, I would say that that is true in almost every com- country that doesn't have the checks and balances that a vibrant democracy offers. And I think in the United States, we've had that at times where we've had enough checks and balances to tame the lies of corporations. Right now, I think we're in a very vulnerable period where it's really hard to know. You know, for instance, um, we have a company called Purdue Pharmaceuticals. And Purdue Pharmaceuticals has killed, and and I should say allegedly because I don't want to be sued by them because they sue their critics. So they have allegedly killed hundreds of thousands of Americans through the opioid crisis. So they are the company that produced the opioids that have hooked so many Americans on really like deadly drugs. There's been charges against them um, in various states where they have conspired basically with doctors to prescribe these opioids. And once you're prescribed an opioid, if you're prescribed at, the, at a certain level, you basically become addicted fairly quickly, which obviously increases the money for Purdue Pharmaceuticals. So right now they um, uh, are in a lawsuit with a number of attorney generals of different states, and they're gonna be paying billions and billions of dollars. But they were caught. Not all companies are caught. And that's the problem. So you see something like a Purdue Pharmaceutical who literally have made their billions by injecting people with a poison that makes them addicted and eventually leads to their death. And then you see something about a COVID vaccine and you're like, wow, this may be the exact situation as the opioid crisis. But on the other hand, maybe it's not. And so that's where it becomes difficult. Like every conspiracy I've heard about the vaccine has some potential element for truth. But there's also just the absolute possibility that these are done by good-hearted scientists using good science, responding to a massive crisis, and they're doing their best they can. And what they're doing is fairly legitimate, and it can be trusted. But you know, both there's of those... another issue. Yeah, there's another issue with that. That yeah. I have to tell you is that uh, when you you have to record deaths for uh, when your vaccine is released, you have to record the number of deaths and side effects. And if that number of deaths excels uh, a different amount, like let's say four thousand, you have to take it on the market. That's the rules of the uh, medicine medical industry for pharmaceutical sure. countries. This these are the rules. Why hasn't that been administered in this particular case scenario? That's another question to ask. Well, 
in again, I'm not sure about in Sri Lanka or France, but I know in the United States, the the deaths of individuals are determined either by the coroner, who is uh, uh, this unusual position we have in every county in the country. They're completely independent. They have no connections with pharmaceutical companies. They're not doc. Well, they may be doctors, but they're not people who prescribe medicine. So they're not in the pocket of big pharma. They are the ones who determine either the deaths or at least the guidelines for reporting the deaths. And so, you know, it, it is absolutely impossible that the uh, 45,000 hospitals in the United States are all in a conspiracy together with the coroners and the big pharma to suppress the numbers. Like that just doesn't happen. Yes, the, there's no conspiracy that leader, large. As a leader, you should forget about the conspiracy theories and you must address with what is true. Because the thing is that if I, like I just put myself, if I was in that position, I would be talking about what I'm talking right now. Like yeah. I would be like, this. why is this, why this vaccine isn't taken off? Why is there misinformation for doctors who want to speak the truth? Why have, why have they been categorized as misinformation? They are stepping out of their freedom. They're, they're, like they're stepping out into freedom, I would say, because right. the, we don't have rights of speech as a yeah. doctor. Okay, well, so I, I think what you can say, what you just said could absolutely be applied to what you're saying, yes. meaning um, there is a truth. Yes. And um, we all want to get at that truth. Yes. Now, um, on the one hand, something is true. On the other hand, it's not true. If, if whatever side of the issue you're on, the information that is not true is misinformation, yes. correct? Yeah. Yes. And so that misinformation, if it's leading to deaths, um, is a problem. Now, in the United States, Anybody can say anything they want about the vaccine, as obviously, because, you know, there are just thousands and thousands. Yeah, like for some doctors, I would say, because I studied uh, medicine, like, so I can I can tell that well, what they're saying has truth or what they are saying has no truth to it. Okay. And like, I feel like some of the doctors were actually telling the like anything bad about the vaccine and basically explaining the theory that causes the effects as well. I've been labeled as misinformation. Why? Yeah. Well, so um, I would say there's a very simple answer, and it is because the information they're giving is incorrect. That's why it's being called misinformation. If it were truthful, then it would be called truthful information. But when you give false information, yes. that is by definition misinformation. Yes. Yeah, I know. But like the people who say it's misinformation are either from Wikipedia. Um, I, I, I also like people are banned from YouTube as well because they are actually giving this. But do you know that uh, most of the videos are in YouTube are that, not that uh, accurate as well? Mm -hmm. It's it's the sure. yeah. Yeah, but but here when you get it wrong, you cause deaths. Yes, and so that's a problem. And so you know, YouTube is a private company; they can do whatever they want. Yeah. They're not the government. Um, you, you don't have a freedom of speech on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, freedom of speech in the United States is the government stopping it. And it has nothing to do with private corporations. So private corporations, they can block all Republicans or they can block all Democrats. They can block scientists or religious people. But at the end of the day, um, I, 
you know, we have um, a group of people in the United States called epidemiologists. Yes. I'm sure you have them in yes. Sri Lanka. And it is an absolute consensus amongst ep epidemiologists. I'm talking to the 99th percent level that they all believe this vaccine, this um, uh, COVID-19 is, is real and that vaccines are effective. And there is no debate. It's just crazy people on YouTube who really are, have, have no background in epidemiology. Yes. Um, and they, there's a reason for that. You know, when they look at the misinformation in the United States, a good deal of it is being supported financially by the country of Russia. And the reason why Russia is pumping misinformation in the United States is it's a geopolitical stratagem. It has nothing to do with the virus. It's not like, you know, Putin believes, you know, is pro-virus or doesn't believe in the virus. Putin has, I mean, he's a smart guy. He believes in the virus. He got vaccinated. The issue is for him, he is trying to destabilize the United States government. So anything that causes dissension, they support. So for a while, Russia supported Black Lives Matter. Now, is Black Lives Matter legitimate? Of course it is. Lots of uh, Black lives have been lost um, unnecessarily to police violence. But Putin supported some Black Lives Matter, Facebook page groups and stuff like that because he saw that as causing a conflict in the United States. So that's why Putin is supporting misinformation on the vaccine. It's because it is destabilizing our country. The, more, the less people who are vaccinated, the more likely the, the um, viruses will continue to morph and, into new variants. And that causes massive economic disruption. Yeah. As, like, and, yeah, it's also that vaccines, first of all, it, like this particular vaccine is even, have you heard the news in the UK? They said that the vaccine is not enough to give uh, protection itself. You can't reach herbity, herd immunity with it. And it's, it's, it, we're losing democracy when you mandate it. So do not mandate, like, uh, how can you tell these political yeah. leaders to not you're, mandate? You're, con it? you're confusing things. Um, the va mandating vaccines has nothing to do with democracy, zero. Democracy is our ability to elect our government and decide who is in power. Vaccine mandates have nothing to do with democracy. What you're, the word you're looking for is personal freedom. Yeah. And personal freedom is a lot different than democracy, right? Yeah. So personal freedom, do I, have the, do I have the ability to go up to someone, let's say who is um, African-American and scream racist things at them? Is that, do I have, no. do I have that personal freedom? No, it's it. No, you can't do that. Yes, I can. Yeah. I can do that. I mean, yeah. they might. Yeah, you can do it. You can do that. But the thing is that it's it's bad to do it. Like I would okay. say. Okay. All right. Now let's say a government created a law that prohibited me from doing that. So they said, for instance, in Germany, you can't express pro-Nazi um, uh, rhetoric. Do we lose democracy when the government creates that rule? Uh. Yeah, we'd, I, I, that's personal freedom. Yeah, you kind of uh, differentiated both of them for me. Yeah, and so it's personal freedom and personal freedom stops at my ability to hurt other people. So yeah. I don't have the personal freedom to take a hammer and hit someone because I don't like them, right? And so then the question becomes, 
do I have the personal freedom to knowingly expose a sick person to a disease that will kill them? Do you feel like I have that personal freedom to do that? No. Like, okay, I, why not? Yeah, the thing is that you, you no, wait, I'm again confusing it to democracy. The thing is that you can, because it's your point of view and people have to, uh, you, you can tell it's the way you articulate the information to the public to tell your side of the story, I would say. But that, um, but sometimes um, the government has to take precise rules in protecting their country. Right, right. Yeah. So now, do you feel like, let's say I, I knew I had uh, um, uh, AIDS, okay? Here's a yeah. different example. We'll take it away from um, COVID. Let's yeah. say I had AIDS, um, HIV. Yes. <clears throat> and um, I know I have HIV and I have a sexual partner who does not know I have HIV and I give HIV to that, for me, it would be a woman. So I give HIV to that woman. But are you unaware that you have HIV? Or you... No, no, no. I'm aware I have it. I'm aware I have it. Should, should the government create a law that punishes me for giving HIV to that person? No. You don't think so? No. So even though now I've given her a disease, yeah, but you it's think your, that's okay? I would say it's your responsibility uh, to do your part uh, in society by isolating okay. them, or make, telling, telling them that you have this, these conditions before go, uh, going into like um, other, like uh, before going into situations, I would say. Right. Yeah, make the other person aware, like I have this, I got into a little accident and I have HIV and yeah, I think you have to tell it out to people so they could make a choice. Sure. But now let's say I don't. Now let's say, um, you know, and maybe I got it from a blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I got it. Now you and I are boyfriend and girlfriend. Do you feel like the government owes you any protection from me because I, I know I have HIV? Do you think the government should protect you by creating a law that says if you have HIV, you have to tell your partner? Um, that's a tricky question. Yeah. And so, but it's a question about personal freedom. Yeah. It's not a question about democracy because some countries will say, yes, you have a responsibility to tell your partner and others will say, no, it's a private I mean, matter. It's responsibility. These, these are like ethical, <laughs> like you have to, you have to take that responsibility to, to warn other people about it. Like, I feel like, because you're bringing another person to your own life. And they are getting affected by it. So it's your responsibility to okay. notify that person. How about this? So now I don't have HIV, but I like to drink. Yes. And you and I, we go out, I get drunk. And I don't want you to drive because I, I'm a sexist pig. I want to drive. But now I'm totally drunk. All right. You and can't, we I, drive. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a big guy. So you don't want to get in the car, but I make you get in the car with me. We drive and we get in an accident <laughs> and you're hurt. Should there be a law against me driving drunk? Yes. And, and why is that? Because the thing is that uh, you can't take uh, control in, of a situation like that because you're not mentally there, I would say, mentally present at that moment. So you have to give the wheel to someone who is mentally present, who hasn't tracked much. And like, like you said, like I'm the perfect person for that because I'm, I don't drink that much. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
right. Yeah. But yeah. okay. But <clears throat> why is it that I should give control? So you're you're correct. I'm not in the right mental state. But why is it sh I should give you control? Because what happens if I don't give you control and I drive drunk? What is the possibilities that could happen? Like another person can get hurt as a result. That's right. I could hurt an innocent person. Yeah. All right. So now let's go back to COVID. You agree the government should stop someone from hurting innocent people. Yes. Now, let's say I'm in an area, not like you, but in an area in, say, the United States where COVID, um, the Delta variant is running wild. Yes. And, you know, 40%, and there's some towns right now that up to 40% of the people have um, COVID. In this town, there's a number of um, uh, older people, let's say it's a retirement village, and I work at a restaurant, okay? Um, if I, and I'm someone who I like to party, let's pretend, yeah. uh, I'm way too old for that, but if I, if I did like to party, I keep going to parties, I'm eventually going to get COVID, I'm, I'm going to get it, but I feel like I'm healthy, I'll survive it, not that big a deal, I survived the flu, I'll survive COVID, but I work in a community where there's a lot of old people who won't survive it. Yes. Doesn't the government have a responsibility to protect those old people? Yes. Okay. And so if the only way is by either making me get a vaccine or I can't work with older people, don't yes, you think you, that's you, fair? You, yeah. You can't work with older people, I would say. But you right. have and, freedom to choose whether to get the vaccine or not. So exactly. I would say... I would say do your part. Make sure you do your part and contribute to society. But the vaccine should be should be like it should be a choice. Yes, and and I would agree with that. To to, to I would probably mostly agree with that. Um, but that's where the passport becomes effective, right? Because um, I don't want the vaccine, but I still want to work as a cook in the senior center. And I'm probably going to end up killing half the seniors, yes. right? So that's where the so government can you, says. Like, can they, can they like, um, can they detail the law like that? Well, they could. And that's what the vaccine passports are for, is I have to be able to show to my employer that, hey, I am not a risk to the children or the seniors or the people with compromised immune systems if I work for you or uh, to get on an airplane. Right, we're we're in this metal tube um, for why can't the United they States. Section, like, why can't they section the um, air, uh, airplane? Is like people people who are like not vaccinated or uh, in the different side of the plane, right? The old elder elderly are in the different side of the plane. Like, there are many solutions to this than mandating the vaccines. I would say. Well, well remember that for the airlines they are the ones who are, they are making this decision themselves. It's not a government mandate. That's why some airlines have it and some airlines don't. And it's a cost thing. So if the airlines think for a minute that it's cost effective to put up some type of barrier and some air filter systems, they'll do that. But if they don't think it's cost effective, they won't do it. But you have to wear a mask, I would say. Mask, uh, mask is an obligation. And yeah. I would, like I would say, uh, say you have to wear the mask because even though it doesn't like it gives some sort of protection everybody was arguing that 
since masks are not proven to be effective, why should you wear it? I think that it does give protection. That's why you wear it in the first place, because these are openings uh, where the, any germ can actually go and you can have any disease from it. So your mouth is the main opening, your nose, your eyes and your ears. So I would say the, ma the mask is effective to a certain extent. So do your part yeah. society. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, I think it is um, uh, effective to a certain extent. And um, yeah, so I, I feel like, um, I think you make some really good points about personal freedom that are difficult, right? Yes. And some countries are getting it right and some aren't and some are getting it right and then they get it wrong and then they get it right again. Um, and I think that's because it's an evolving thing. President Biden, you know, uh, two months ago announced basically that, hey, we won, the virus is over, let's take the masks off, open up the businesses, forget about social distancing. And then the Delta variant occurred. And then he had to talk, walk all of that back. Yeah. And I don't think it's because he's trying to end democracy. Yeah. He's just trying to end the, the pandemic because the economy is crashing when people are afraid to get sick. So he's trying to end that because he wants to be reelected. <laughs> yeah, that's also a problem because re uh, like they want power. This is the motivation for power, I would say, but what should be their real purpose? You mean politicians generally? Yeah. I mean, general, that's a, like that is a, wonderful question that I wish more people would ask because we forget what the role of politicians are. And the role of politicians, at least in a democracy, is very simple. They're supposed to represent the interests of the people who elected them and of the nation as a whole. So it's, it's simple. They help our interests. But when they're bought off by corporations, when they're bought off by the promise of a of a, a cushy job, um, if they cooperate now, they can get jobs for their family members or for them in the future, then they no longer care about our interests. They care about the interests of the people who pay them money to get elected. And in the United States, that is the rich people. That is corporations and the richest people. 97% of all political money in the system comes from billionaires or large corporations, 97%. The other 3% is from the rest of us. And so and when you think about it from that perspective, Congress really is created by the richest, most powerful people to protect their interests, not our interests. And their interests, believe me, they, the richest corporations in the world do not want COVID you know, maybe a couple, maybe a couple uh -huh. of pharmaceutical companies, a couple of mask companies. But on the whole, you know, I, it, when I'm like in my little town, uh, we went out last night for my wife's birthday. I can't tell you how many businesses have been put under. I'm talking like big businesses, chains have lost all of their um, uh, commerce because of the COVID-19. So corporate America is against COVID-19. They are not part of a conspiracy. They are desperate for it to be over because yeah. they are losing massive amounts of money. Some are winners, but on the whole, it's mostly losers. Yeah, especially uh, like people can't handle like a period of discomfort. Like I feel like every minute there's something bad happening, they're complaining about it. Like 
I mean, for the time being, I mean, you can do something about it, but no, they want to take the easy way out. They want to <laughs> take, okay, what is the closest thing that I can go out? So we don't have uh, lockdowns. Okay, the vaccine, let's take it. <laughs> yeah. And they're yeah. out. Yeah, I think people are pretty desperate right now. I think if, um, <laughs> I think they yeah. would do anything to end this, some of us, right? And then others don't even want to wear a mask. But they're they, still, they yeah. don't believe it's a virus. Yeah, but they still, but they still have the potential of spreading the disease. They have the potential of taking true. the disease. And just because they are vaccinated, they don't wear the mask, and then you're still spreading it again. Same, same, same scenario is happening again. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And that's and and that's partly because of the the variant um, of Delta. And and if you you know, people talk about the variant out of context. The context of the variant is that um, the pharmaceutical companies have created a for-profit product, the vaccine, that they only want to distribute for profit. And for countries that can't afford a vaccine for everyone, their people are living unvaccinated and dying. I mean, that's why COVID still exists in so many countries in a, in a really a tragic other, state. Other, uh, other factors affecting that situation. Like if you take a country like India, they have overpopulation. And yeah, yeah so that, that is also a problem. And some of the areas, their living conditions aren't good. So obviously, Correct. obviously you're going to find a lot of people dying. But if you are properly isolated, if you are properly nourished, First of yeah. all, in uh, places Agreed. like Africa, you have malnourishment occurring and no even water. Um, yeah. Water is not available to most. Water scarcity, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Most yeah. So yeah, those, those, those factors also affect uh, the, um, the disease. It's just not one tiny thing. Yes, agreed. And those conditions make people more susceptible to getting sicker faster. Um, and they'll get sicker faster from the flu, from a common cold. Um, so those are all things that um, jeopardize people's health. But the issue is, unless everybody is vaccinated, there'll continue to be um, uh, evolutions of this virus. This virus has shown itself to be very quickly to uh, quick to adapt. And so we're going to keep having new waves of coronavirus each one probably more deadly than the last until we're able to achieve the type of herd immunity that, as you know, is so difficult, but that we have achieved in other diseases. But until we do, this disease is going to keep stay with us. And you and I could have this conversation two years from now, and we'll still have coronavirus. We need, we need to opt for, like, aim for a cure because the vaccines are not effective. Everything is, that is coming up is not effective. And this cure, I don't know, it should be holistic as well because you yeah. can't depend on the drug industry as well for this yeah. the types of situations. Right, I, and I agree with that. Although I would just, um, I would say that instead of using the word effective, um, when you say the, the vaccine is not effective, I think the proper word is it's not perfect. Yes. Because it is effective in the United States Right now, only two or three percent of the people dying have vaccines, meaning 98 percent of the people who are currently dying in the United States from COVID-19 
are the unvaccinated. And so the vaccine, it's not perfect, but it's at least stopping people from dying. Yes, they continue to pass it on. But if, for instance, my wife and I are vac vaccinated, if I get COVID-19, I will probably give it to her, but neither one of us will probably die. Yeah. And so it is effective. It's just not perfect. And it depends on your faith as well, as I said before. So the numbers, the numbers again, do not make like give a definite answer. I would say the numbers, like I, we have to offer a cure. That's a better solution than all of this. Agreed, agreed. And obviously there are companies who are trying to make the cure because they will become massive billion dollar companies yes. the moment they come up with the cure. So there is a race for the cure. And, but I think it just shows you how difficult it is to find a cure yes. that, you know, even a year and a half later, we're not, I don't, I don't know if anyone's close to a cure at this point, but certainly stop smoking, you know, lose your, your, if you have extra fat, lose extra fat, get in shape, um, eat well, eat organic, nutritious food. Those are all important things to do that will increase your chances of surviving it. Um, and any solution without that holistic nature is just a partial solution, right? Because what, what good is it if you have a COVID vaccine, I mean, excuse me, a COVID cure, and but then you die of cancer because you eat sugar all the time, right? Like yes. we need a better approach to our health that encompasses a whole bunch of different things, only one of which is either vaccines or medicinal cures. Um, that's the last part of it. Yeah. We're missing the first four or five elements of just living a healthy life. We, we, yeah, we need to uh, lead a healthy life. Uh, I think that I made a video because I was like so scared of, uh, because the vaccine just came out too soon. And I was like, what about the autoimmune uh, uh, people who have autoimmune uh, diseases? Barely helps them. Yes, yeah. but the elderly are at risk naturally because they have a very weak immune system as you grow older. That's right. And yeah. pregnancy, um, you are trying to, yeah, your immune system is like trying to like um, fight for two people there. So right. obviously you have the weak immune system. And plus I also read... Um, a document that uh, was given uh, shown to me from uh, a pharmacist because she said that uh, this is what we look for uh, when uh, for people who are not considered to be vaccinated but they don't look at this information and sometimes that's their responsibility that the deaths were caused and I was like that's why I'm trying to look at it to actually tell this information okay when you go to the pharmacist when you ask for help us there is a way to get without vaccinated vac vaccination and I took a picture of that uh, document and it said that from the second dose if you uh, if you have signs of uh, multi-organ inflammation or you have uh, pericarditis or myocarditis you are supposed to not take the vaccine hmm. and uh, like children of 12 years old are also dying because they have heart problems after this vaccine. So, yeah. yeah, again, so we're dealing in the realm of it is not perfect, but it is effective yeah. for a lot of people. And, you know, I, that's one of the issues that 
if if something will stop the deaths of millions of people, but cause the deaths of a few thousand, is it worth it? And that's where personal freedom comes into yeah, play. Like 5,000, right? like it, uh, the deaths have escalated 5,000 according to like CDC news, mm -hmm. but we had to like keep up with it because the thing is that normally for um, diseases like the swine flu after 54 deaths, like the vaccine was taken out of the market and another mm -hmm. vaccine was put in, in replace of it. Sure. But that was a that was a disease that killed a few hundred people. Yes. So the, the, we always have to look at the reality of the facts on the ground. Yes. The reality is that in 50 states, over 600,000 Americans have died. That's not a conspiracy of, yes. you know, of doctors making false claims. Yes. That, in fact, many people feel that's undercounted because a lot of people die at home without ever having gone to the hospital for COVID because they don't have health insurance or they didn't think it was that serious. So many people estimate the numbers to be well over a million people yeah. in, and also I want in the to United ask, States. Yeah, I also want to tell you something is that they should make, uh, like these political parties should have an, uh, put another law so that they could save this this these people that uh, so that uh, people who die from the vaccine actually get something out of it um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day because I feel like that part has been completely neglected out. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: um, Would you let's say let's say I was a lawmaker and I said yes, I'll agree to that if you agree to the following addition, and that is if um, to make people liable who spread. COVID-19. Yes. Right. So if you um, decided not to get the vaccine and you go to my uncle's birthday party yes. and then my uncle dies because you gave him COVID-19, should we be able to sue the person who gave us COVID-19? No. Okay. Well, then I can't accept know. your law. I can't accept your law because, you know, I believe in personal responsibility. So if you choose not to get the vaccine and that causes someone else to die, you are responsible and you should go to jail. Yeah. Is that not personal responsibility? No. Yeah. But like, my but, ultimate yeah. freedom of living. Yeah. The, uh, but like even cold spread like this, less infectious disease and people die of cause too. So I would say that. that yeah, but there's no vaccine for the cold. Yeah. No, there were, is a vaccine, but it's not effective. The, uh, COVID-19 vaccine was actually made from the uh, COVID okay. vaccine. Sure, but uh, let's put it this way. No one in America gets the cold vaccine. Yeah, yes. I mean, yes. right, right? And, yes. and only a few people die from the cold every year. The flu, more people die. But from yeah. colds, it's pretty much only people with massive pre-existing conditions. Yes. But I, all I know is that if you believe in the flip side of personal freedom is personal responsibility. You can't yeah. have any personal freedom unless you yeah, also yeah. enforce yeah. personal responsibility. Yeah. And so my freedom to not get the vaccine necessarily invokes my personal responsibility if I get sick and I hurt other people. Yeah. Because they have a personal freedom to not be infected. Like everyone has the personal freedom not to be killed. But if you bring in a disease, it's almost like, if you put poison in my drink, right, and I die, well, that's your fault. Yes. You brought the poison into my house. Then it's first degree murder. Yeah. Well, it should be, 
but how is it any different if you brought a deadly disease into my house and you knew about it? How is that different? Uh, the thing is that uh, you have to take your, yeah, you should have responsibility for it. Right? So your personal freedom not to take the medicine it stops unless you also um, accept personal responsibility for the consequences of your actions. Yes. See, in the United States, we have a large group of people who don't believe in consequences for personal action. They only believe in the personal freedom. So they yeah. like to have a gun, but they don't want to have any background checks on the guns. We, we've had technology where um, you can pair a gun with a fingerprint, meaning the only person that could shoot that gun would be, would be you with your fingerprint. But people don't want that because they think that infringes on their personal freedom. But if someone else takes my gun and kills somebody, I don't want any responsibility for that death, even though I could have stopped it by buying a gun that only would shoot with my finger. And so you can't have both. I mean, excuse me, you can't have one without the other. And that's the problem in our society is that everybody wants personal freedom. Nobody wants personal responsibility. I take the responsibility as well. Like even yeah. in a situation like this, because I know both sides of the situation, I'm aware of it. And right. I feel like that's why I'm living in a hill. Exactly. <laughs> right. You're staying isolated. You're being careful. You believe in masks. You've taken personal responsibility. You probably know what are the riskiest situations. My guess is if you got sick and you had a fever and a cough all of a sudden, my guess is you would not go to your sister's birthday party. Right. Yeah. Um, right? Because you're afraid you might give them COVID. You're a per perfect example of someone who wants personal freedom and is willing to take personal responsibility. Unfortunately, there's too many people who only want the personal freedom. Yeah. And I wish there was a better law instead of mandated vaccines. Mandate, yeah. mandate the mask. Educate the people on personal uh, responsibility. Yeah. And it should go hand in hand with personal freedom as well. So in Sri Lanka, are they mandatory? Are they mandating a vaccine for every uh, citizen? Yeah, but the thing is that there is also a trick there because nobody's obeying it. They're putting uh, the attestation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're actually yeah. putting fake documents for this one. So the right. thing is that um, fake documents happen all the time there. Like I know it. So yeah. even um, so, the thing is that uh, here, if you have a fake document, you are you are in jail for three years. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, very true. Yeah, that's per that's the ultimate personal responsibility. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, like, if you get the attestation, that's a legal document. Like, right. I would, I would, it's not fake. Yeah, it's it. legal. Yeah, so I would say yeah, that's, that's like difference. We, we that's the difference. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Yeah, I think um, in the United States, I don't think we'll ever have the vaccines mandated, but there will be companies who will say you can't work here unless you're vaccinated. Um, although right now, the way they're phrasing it is it, you're either vaccinated or you get tested on a weekly basis. And, um, and that to me is a good balance of personal freedom and personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but there's plenty of companies um, or that don't require that. So if you don't want the vaccine, you can quit your job um, over say at UPS and get a job elsewhere that doesn't require it. Or you can start your own business. No one's gonna force you to take personal responsibility, um, but also 
you know, companies have the right to protect their workers and to protect their clients. Like if all of a sudden we have a popular restaurant, well, let's say McDonald's or Starbucks. If all of a sudden Starbucks said, hey, we don't require masks and our workers don't get, um, um, uh, have to get shots. And then a couple of people claimed they got coronavirus from drinking Starbucks, that would wipe the company out. Yeah. And so, you know, they're going to be as responsible as possible just to save you know, the bottom line. And Starbucks doesn't get any money by cooperating with pharmaceutical companies. They're just trying to look out for the best interests of their clientele, because without their clientele, there is no business. Yes. So it's because hey, we spoke for like one hour and 30 minutes and um, oh my, it's, that went quick. It's, yeah. It was so interesting. I wish I can have you again on this uh, podcast because I feel like you're one of those people, like the conversation just flew. Like, and we, we kind of didn't notice that it was going on. It's true. I don't even have my glasses. I can't. Wow. It is 930. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're a great interviewer. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thanks. Uh, I really enjoy speaking with you because you are one of those people who are like really interesting and I'm like actually reading your book as well. Uh, okay. And I find it like really interesting about these topics. So I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm trying to like kind of connect the dots. Yeah. I am, uh, I am educated in a different field and yeah. you are educated in a different section of life. So I just need to put the dots in this situation and connect it. Right. Yeah, you're you have a very hungry mind, and I can see you want to you want to gather as much information about the world as possible to make it all make sense. And I really yes. admire that. Thank you for tuning in to Teo Podcast, the Pandemic Press. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Teo Academy, and um, also we have launched a website called www.teoac.net. So that's T-A-O-A-C, all simple letters, no capitals. And check that out. Uh, we have our, our official website as well. We have an Instagram page as well. It's Ateo Education System. And I'm thinking about changing the name. Well, let's see in the future. Okay, my name is Rashni Hewawasam. I am your host and I will be signing out. Thank you.